with us this morning is 6-8 Church. It comes from a verse in the Bible, Micah 6-8. It goes like this. I invite you to join me. Uh, that's not how the verse starts. Um, I invite you to join me on the bold parts, if you will. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And that's the kind of church we're trying to be, a church of disciples, church full of people who are following Jesus, who are trying to live that out in our day-to-day lives. It's not enough to come and hear about it an hour on Sunday. An hour is not enough. We have to make sure we're living it out in our daily lives. So we're trying to be disciples who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. One way you can help us do justice this morning is if this is your first or second time, you can take that connection card and you check that box first time or second time. We're going to donate a pair of socks in your honor to Northwest Children's Outreach so you can help us do justice to some children here in this community. And so uh, we'd encourage you to do that. And one thing we have started doing is everyone gets to fill out a connection card now. So if you will, right now in this very moment, if you have yet to pull it out, will you grab that connection card in the seat that you're sitting in or the one in front of you? and and fill that out and just kind of let us know where you are. That way we can, we know how to help. If we don't know what's going on, if we don't know things that are happening in your life, we can't really pray for you, we can't encourage you, things like that. So these, since we've started doing this at the beginning of the year, we've had a lot more information that helps us know how to lead you better. So it's, it's actually proving very beneficial to us. So thank you very much for filling those out. It's a, it's a great thing. One last announcement um, is that we're having a youth game night, and that is uh, on the 26th, I think. Is that right? 26th? Um, and that's, Tim, what's, what's the ages for that? Uh, that'd be 6th graders through 12th graders. 6th graders through 12th graders, the time? 6 to midnight. And uh, just going to be ha- playing games, having fun. Everybody's welcome, right? Unless you're outside of that age range. So there is some discrimination involved. But um, So anyway, if you have youth, or if you are a youth, or if you know someone who would like to come and play games, and I think they're going to be doing some, uh, what, are, what are some of the games you're playing? Yeah. I'm totally out of touch with any kind of gaming system. The most, the most up-to-date I ever was was uh, when Mario Kart came out on Nintendo 64. Since then, I've just been behind the game. So, and, uh, Nintendo 64, what was that? March 19th, date night for the Supermom thing. All right, so we are in a series right now called Bona Fide, Authentic. What is the authentic Christian life. We want to know what it means to truly follow Jesus. We're looking in the book of 1 John to get our information from that. We've gone all the way through the book of 1 John. Now we're in chapter 3, verse 11. We got a video to catch us up from chapter 3. Now we're, we're cutting out the first two chapters for now, but at the end we'll kind of give you one whole video that brings this whole thing together. But let's watch the uh, video for chapter 3 of 1 John. And now 1 John chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to pull that out. Verse 11 through 15 is where we're going to be this morning, covering these four verses. Next week we're going to finish up chapter 3, so you can go ahead and read ahead for that if you want. Um, If you get bored during the sermon, you can go ahead and finish out during the sermon, then you're ahead for the whole week. And uh, you overachievers can walk out of here feeling like you've accomplished something. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this chance we have to gather together this morning. I pray that in this uh, short time you would uh, fill us with your thoughts, that you would speak to us, that more than my words, your words would ring in our ears and our hearts and our minds, and just ask you to, uh, to, to infiltrate every moment of this time we have together and use it for your glory, for building up your body to accomplish your kingdom's work here at 6-8 Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Cain and Abel. We're going to go all the way back to Cain and Abel because Papa John has referenced Cain and Abel. We need to make sure we know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are, are some of the very first children that were born to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were, were, uh, were created by God. God made Adam out of the dust. So when you hear that song, like we sang early, uh, earlier, uh, God makes beautiful things out of dust. He literally made Adam out of dust, and then he made Eve out of Adam's rib, and then, and then they had children together, and those were Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, is where we're going to just pick up the story a little bit. Let me read it for you, and we'll try to get into the topic a little bit. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So in Genesis chapter 3, we hear how Adam and Eve decided to disobey God, and they decided to go and eat from the fruit of the tree, which they were commanded not to eat from. And then just shortly later, a few years later, after they had had Cain and Abel, and they had uh, grown up and were working the ground, we have the first murder. So it didn't take very long for this sin to really come and become something that, that instead of... Uh, building up and encouraging and, and supporting and loving the, the people made in God's image, all of a sudden it was a competition between man and now if you lose the competition, uh, you're going to go kill the winner. So that's kind of uh, where we are. And if you've uh, observed society very much, if you've been a part of this world that we live in, you know that we have not ventured too far from that. Uh, there are people who do not win, and they want to make sure that those who do win pay for it because they can't. 
But there's a lot of things I think we can learn from this story of Cain and Abel. I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. First, I just want to go back and, and look at this because initially, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. It doesn't even really seem, uh, from the context of the passage, like it's that big of a deal to God. Let me read it for you again. So, so both Cain and Abel bring something to God. They bring it before him. Abel brought uh, the firstborn of his, of his flock and the fat portions, and Cain brought the fruit of the ground, or you know, probably grain, some kind of fruit that he had produced, uh, some kind of vegetable or fruit or something like that. And God, the Lord, had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And that's really all the statement we have about God's response. It's Cain who then gets all worked up about the matter. Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, it's like, hey, man, what's going on? Chill. Why are you so angry? Why is your face fallen? It's not that big of a deal. Just next time, do the right thing. He didn't know what the right thing to do was. I don't, he probably hadn't been told, and so he was trying and just made a mistake. He didn't get there, didn't quite get all the way. Abel got it, but Cain didn't. So it's like God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you, if you do what you're supposed to do, if you do the good that, that you're supposed to do, then, then you'll be accepted. And if you don't do it, sin is crouching at the door. So if you don't do it, the opportunity to respond to that is in a sinful way is just sitting outside waiting for you. How do we respond when we don't quite measure up? Sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. I think there's a lot that we can learn there. You know, we don't have to jump to murder every time. As, you know, probably most of us don't really struggle with that thought. I don't know about you. Um, I don't have too often the desire to murder somebody. Once in a while. But not too often, uh, so, so most of us don't necessarily go right to murder, right? But we have things in our lives where we're not quite measuring up, and, in, and instead of going back and trying to measure up or trying to do what we're supposed to be doing, living the life we're supposed to be doing, instead we give up or we get angry, and then we just kind of go, and then when we have given up on doing right, sin is crouching at the door waiting for us to go with it. We need to pay attention when we fail. Make sure that we're not giving sin an undue opportunity in our lives. But let's get to this. Let's get, see if we can truly, uh, truly really understand this offering, understand the story, understand what's going, in, going on here in the story. So we need to maybe understand why didn't God regard Cain's offering? And to do that, before we get into this whole story, um, I want to share just a short little clip from you from Grey's Anatomy. It's Valentine's Day. I figured that would be a great thing, you know, to, uh, to kind of get our Valentine's Day started off on the right foot. I mean, to watch uh, essentially a, a nighttime soap opera about people who are kind of pretending to be doctors. Um, so uh, let's just watch this little clip and we'll go from there. Ham or eggs? Uh, that's actually, if, if you go to church long enough, you'll realize that most of what you see happening in the world around us is actually stolen from sermon illustrations that pastors teach. Uh, that one is stolen from a sermon illustration that was, uh, that, that was shared a long, long time ago. I remember somebody using it when I was in college and talked about how 
you know, for, for the chicken, it's just an offering, but for the pig, it's a sacrifice, right? I mean, if you're going to have breakfast and you want to have ham and eggs or you want to have bacon and eggs, you know, the chicken can bring an offering, but the pig has to make a sacrifice. That's really old. I thought that was a little bit less boring and cheesy than if I just used the same old illustration. Why then, why do you think God didn't regard, that's what, the, that's what the story says, God had no regard for Cain's offering? Uh, this is, for one, I think, I think what's starting to happen here, what, what God is doing is at the very beginning, because there is sin, I think God is starting to set the course for, for the way uh, sin is going to be atoned for. And so he's starting to uh, create examples, make examples for, for what sacrifice is going to be and what offering is going to be and the role they're going to play in our relationship with God. And so I think most likely, probably the reason God had no regard for Cain's offering is because it wasn't a sacrifice. You know, if you didn't know this, there is a difference between plants and animals. Just like there's a difference between animals and humans. Animals, we would say, probably have more, more worth and value than plants. And certainly, if you don't believe this, you can talk to me after the service, but humans have more worth and value than animals. And so we, we are the only creatures on this earth created in God's image, so we have more worth, more value, more dignity than anything else that walks or lives on the surface. And so I think part of what's happening is, is God is starting to pave the, pave the way for what sacrifice is going to be, what is offering going to look like. Uh, but did God's disregard for Cain's offering warrant the murder of his brother? Of course, we hope the answer for that is no. If you didn't answer, to no, answer no to that question, we can talk after the service. Um, just don't do anything right now. But why? Why, we, why did Cain murder his own brother? Here we have some of the first brothers in all of creation. Why did Cain murder his brother? Well, John tells us, so we need to go back to this book of 1 John chapter 3 and see what John says. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? John's going to answer our question. Because Cain's deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. That's why Cain murdered Abel. This is also, John is going to argue, the same reason the world is not going to like us as we follow Christ. As we pursue Christ, the world is not going to like us for the same reason. He gets right into that, verse 13. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. After just talking about Cain and Abel. So when we do, we've talked over and over about this and we're gonna keep talking about it. When we do truly righteous acts, the world will notice. Some in the world will be stirred to want to follow us because of the righteous acts that we're doing. Others will want to disrupt our lives and maybe even kill us because of the righteous acts that we're doing. So this is where I think we begin to find the definition between Cain's uh, offering and Abel's sacrifice. And it also, I think, has great implications for us as we really try to truly understand what John is going to teach in this passage. Because most of us, myself included, would rather offer something to appease God or to appease the problem as opposed to make a sacrifice that actually requires and costs something of us. 
The love that we have been commanded to, however, is not just something that gives to appease. The love we've been commanded to is love that sacrifices, just like Christ sacrificed for us. We'll get into that more next week. But that was the love he had for us. He sacrificed, he gave himself for us. So, an example, you know, when we have major catastrophes that strike, what is one of the first things that happens? We start to see commercials or we see events or we see fundraisers that are, that are thrown together at the last minute so that we can raise money to probably support the Red Cross so that they can go and deal with the crisis. So probably for most of us, you know, that seems like a good thing, but most of us probably stop at, okay, I'm just going to, well, I think that's a good thing, or if we're really involved, we donate five or 10 or 50 or 100 bucks to the cause, but we just kind of make an offering toward the idea. We don't make a personal sacrifice to see anything happen. But we need to be the kind of people who are willing to move into harm's way for the sake of another brother or sister. Now, not foolishly, we must always be wise in it, but we must love sacrificially. So this, is, this was the nature of Abel's, Abel's sacrifice. It was sacrificial. He took of the firstborn and brought a sacrifice. But what about Cain? Cain's offering was of the fruit of the ground. It's essentially what you can bring to God if you work hard. Right? If we, if we work hard, if you work the ground, if you plant the seed, and if you keep it watered and you keep it weeded, you're going to have a harvest, and you can bring something of that harvest to God, and you can give him an offering. Does God expect us to give offerings to him? Yes. In fact, if you want to go back through the Old Testament, you'll see that grain offerings were a big part of worship in the Old Testament. But grain offerings in the Old Testament were about worship. They were not sacrificial to atone for sin. And that's where we start to see the difference between Cain and Abel. See, grain offerings were an act of worship, and you can even go through and you see that, that there was even some liberty given to grain offerings where you can mix in some different spices and you can kind of personalize this offering you were making to God, and it could just be a little bit more of an expression, your personal expression, but, but sacrifices had to be carried out in a very specific way. So God expects us to give to him, yes, he expects us to make offerings to him, and in a worshipful way, out of the fruit of our labors, we're supposed to make an offering to God, but that's not the biggest thing we do. Now let's go back to Abel for a second. Abel brought a sacrifice. What Cain brought was an offering. God didn't regard it, but Abel brought a sacrifice. God had regard for it. What was it? Well, it was the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions which becomes a foreshadowing of the sacrifices that would be made to atone for sin, of the Passover, which was the sacrifice of the firstborn, and it ultimately becomes a, a foreshadowing of Christ's sacrifice, who in Colossians we see is the firstborn of all creation, and he was sacrificed on account of our sins so that we could have eternal life. So this is, this is probably, I think, maybe the, the motivation behind the distinction. It's, we're starting to pave the way for what is going to be Christ's sacrifice, and it starts at the very beginning of Genesis, and it's going to carry all the way through the Old Testament until Jesus comes. So it's important that we understand where it's coming from. Sacrifice was to atone for sin, so it, re it required the death of a living thing. We read that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Well, plants don't have blood. It's, it's through the blood 
that we get forgiveness. And so animal sacrifices would later be required to atone for sin. Grain offering was not for atonement, but was an act of worship. So now we bring all of that, that knowledge into, as best we can, into our current situation, into our current day and age. What do we get as our understanding for Cain and Abel as it applies to this passage? Well, I think, for one, we need to understand that God expects, expects us to sacrifice our whole lives for his greater purposes. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it means to be a disciple. When we make that commitment, when we, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we put our belief in him, which we talked about a few weeks ago, not just a belief that he exists, but a belief that says, I am going to surrender my whole life for this cause. I'm going to be telling people about this God that I believed in, this faith that I have in Jesus Christ has really changed my life. And so I'm, I'm a believer. I don't just believe in the existence of, but I believe in a way that it has changed my life in a deep, powerful, complete way. And so as we do that, then we, we, go from, we go from literally from death into life, which we'll get back to here in just a second. We go from, we cross over from death into life, and we have this great symbol called baptism where we get to celebrate that. So if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've started to follow him, but you have not yet been baptized, then you still haven't started to complete the whole process of salvation. Baptism is an important part of salvation, and it's going public with our faith. It, it's this public profession that, yes, Yes, I am a Christ follower. I'm telling the world around me I believe in Jesus Christ to the point where I'm willing to now be identified with him through this act of baptism. That's why it's done in public, not in private. We don't baptize people in the privacy of their own homes. We do it on display for everyone to see so that everyone knows I am now dedicating my life. This is the kind of belief that we're talking about. And if we have not yet put our belief in him to that point, we have to start to question, are we really believing him? Are we really following him? It's important that we make that distinction. Baptism is important. It's not just a ritual. But in this, in this uh, picture of baptism, we have literally, we have the whole picture of what it means to follow Christ. It's buried with him in baptism. So when, when somebody goes down under the water, it's like we're buried with him just like he was buried in the earth. And then as we come up out of the water, we are raised just like Christ was raised. We come up out of the water, we're raised to this new life in Christ. We are raised to a new life as a new creation. We have passed from death into life. Let's go back to verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Remember John's purpose, a big part of John's motivation is giving us clues, giving us indicators, giving us things that we can look to point to that says, this is what the bona fide Christian life looks like. If, if, if you don't see this in people, if you're not seeing this being lived out and acted out in someone's lives, then, then you need to be concerned whether or not that is a true, genuine Christ follower. This is John's purpose. He wants to separate us from the Gnostics who are starting to go on and pursue something greater and higher and more intellectual, more spiritual, and make sure that we understand the whole point is Jesus. So, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. How do we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers? Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
Very interesting to see that, to hear that word abide used in a different context. Up until this point, the word abide has been used to talk about abiding in Christ or abiding uh, in, in community. And here we talk about abiding in death. Now we need to get back to this word love, though, so that we truly understand it because John goes back to it. And now you get to hear me butcher some Greek words, just one Greek word, but I'm going to invite you in to join me so we all butcher it together. Uh, See, so let me try it, because uh, I'm not Greek. I don't speak Greek. I, I'm American, grew up in southeast Ohio. <laughs> I do well to speak words with more than four syllables, but we'll just leave it at that. Uh, agapao, all right? Is that close, Jim? Agapao. Agapao, all right? Aga pao, pao, aga pao, okay? We'll struggle with it now. We're going to struggle with it together so that everyone feels just as ridiculous as I feel in this very moment. So, aga, aga pao, pao, aga pao. Oh, we can do better than that. Aga pao. Oh, that's getting pretty good. Aga pao. There we go. So now you know some Greek. You're doing better than me. We have passed, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love agapao, the brothers. What does this word agapao mean? We talked about it several weeks ago. It's this, it's to totally give ourselves over to something, to be totally consumed with or to be totally committed to. So here we are, we're on Valentine's Day and we're looking at the idea of love. What does it mean to really be committed to something. Have you ever been in any kind of relationship, a friendship, a relationship where you are more committed than the other person, where, where you're bringing ham and the other person's only bringing eggs? Probably so all of us have been in that kind of relationship. We've, uh, we've as uh, husband and wife, we've had friendships over the years where we felt like we were, we were trying to really pursue this friendship with other couples in the church and we wanted to get to know people and live in community with people and we'd always kind of be the ones pursuing and it would never be reciprocated. We were bringing ham and everyone else was just bringing eggs. Of course, now that I've been up here in front of you on a weekly basis, you understand why those people never really wanted to stick around in the first place. So, um, but we're working on that. <laughs> But agapao means to totally give ourselves over to something. So if we're going back to our illustration, it means that we are ham. We're ham. We're, we're the bacon. We're the pig. You can go home today and say, Pastor at 6 8 called us all pigs. I didn't call you that. I said, that's what we're aspiring to be. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. Uh, we are aspiring to be ham. Uh, no matter how I say it, it's just not going to get any better. But um, <laughs> we want to be the ones who totally give ourselves over to something to be totally consumed with or totally committed to it. We don't want to just bring the eggs. We don't just want to bring something that we can just kind of throw together at the last minute. We want to be the kind of people who truly love one another. Because we love one another in this way, we know that we have passed out of death into life. And if we're wondering, have I really, have I truly passed out of death into life? Am I living 
a life that is life, or am I still pursuing the, 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 what the world would call life, which is actually death? The way we know is how we love and how we love one another. Now, look, we need to understand that, that our love for one another is always first fueled by our love for God. So this is why the two, both sacrifice and offering, are connected. We need the sacrifice to atone for our sins, but we bring the offerings as an expression of who we think God is, of how majestic we view God, of how grateful we are to God, how, how gracious we are that God has done these wonderful things that he has done for us. We bring the offerings out of our love for God, and we give the offerings to God, but it is the sacrifice, the sacrificial love to one another that, uh, that expresses to the world and to each other that we have life. It's always in the sacrifice where life comes. It's always through the sacrifice that we experience life. We don't experience life. It is impossible to experience life just merely by bringing offerings from time to time. It may feel good. You know, it feels good when you donate to the Red Cross. It feels good when you throw 10 bucks at this organization or at that organization. It feels good that I've actually done something to give to an organization that's making a difference in somebody's life. And, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, it is a very good thing, but it is not the best thing. The best thing is for us to be totally committed, sold out, died to myself kind of people and risen to this new life in Christ. That's how we know we have passed out of death into life. And whoever does not love, now remember this is Papa John, Grandpa John, 90-year-old John, and he's getting straight to the point. He's not gonna, he's not gonna mince any words. He's not gonna skirt around the issues. He's gonna say exactly what needs to be said. He says this, whoever does not love, whoever does not agapao, whoever is not committed, whoever is not sold out, whoever is not giving themselves totally over to brothers in love, abides in death. And at this point in time, I'm really glad that it's John who's making that statement and not me, because you can't get mad at me. Papa John doesn't have an email address. Papa John's does, but Papa John doesn't, so. It would be kind of awesome if we all sent emails to Papa John's, by the way, talking about the Bible. If you do that, copy me on it. You blind, BCC, blind carbon copy me, I think that'd be funny. But what is the warning here that Papa John is giving us in this statement? He says, whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever does not love abides in death. Remember, John is giving us these evidences. He wants us to know what true life looks like, what, what it means to be in Christ looks like this. If you're not loving, if you're not living in a totally committed, surrendered way, if you're not loving the brothers and sisters, if you're not loving your community of Christ in this way, then have you just been bringing the eggs and you haven't really brought the ham yet? Have you not really brought a sacrifice? When we love one another, though, when we're totally committed to one another, what is going to happen? We talked about it. Some will be drawn into that, and that's the ultimate desire that we have, is that the world will see our love. This is what, what we read about in other places in the New Testament, that the world will see our love for one another, and they will be drawn to Christ as a result of it. But there are also those in this world who will hate us for this unconditional love. And you don't have to go far back in our history, even as an American country, to see 
how those who practice righteousness can be hated by those who are still abiding in death, even if, we should be very clear about this, even if they claim to be enlightened. Because there is a great deal of harm, there is a great deal of hatred that has been pushed on the world in the name of Christ that has nothing to do with Christ. But the world will often hate us when we are doing what is righteous. I think this is what John is getting to back in verse 13. He says, don't be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we who believe in Christ have passed out of death into life, and the implication is, well, they haven't, right? Don't be surprised that they hate you. They haven't passed out of death into life, but we have, and that's why we love one another in this radical love kind of way. But if you're not going to love, pay attention to who you let into your circle. If they're not loving in this kind of way, then we know that they have, have yet to abide in Christ. They still abide in death. And abiding is this picture of the vine that Jesus, that Jesus so clearly gave us in John chapter 15. And we've talked quite a bit about how abiding in the vine means to remain in the vine. It means being connected to we as Gentiles, unless we're of Jewish uh, descent, we as Gentiles are grafted into the vine and we're kind of grafted in. And, but then our life blood comes from the vine. Everything that we have comes through the vine. And the fruit that we produce, the life that we live, the, the love that we give, all comes because we are connected to the vine. We abide. We remain in the vine. But here we see this word abide being used about the world. Abide in death is what John says. Whoever does not love in this way is abiding in death. And throughout this, this whole letter, John has contrasted abiding in Christ and abiding in the world or abiding in death and, and that life comes from Christ and death is in this world. It's no wonder then that those who abide in death hate us when we are doing something that expresses, that produces the fruit of life because we abide in life. It's counterintuitive, it's countercultural, it's swimming upstream. It is supposed to be different, and it is, by the way, supposed to be difficult. It's not natural when we are putting it in the context of this world, but when we receive Christ and we are empowered by Christ, it becomes natural becomes who we are and the old man starts to fall off and fall away and we become more and more like Christ each day. But these are also warnings that John is giving us. So when the world hates you for being totally committed to your spiritual family and the lure of the world is strong, the influence of the world is strong, it's hard to be in the world and to be standing against the world. But John's saying, when the world hates you for being totally committed to your spiritual family, don't respond in hatred to your church, to your family, to try to garner the affection of the world. I don't know if you've been around people like this, but I have where, where you may go to church with them on a Sunday and, and they, they express themselves and carry themselves in, in a very Christian kind of way, but then you go out and you go out in the world and you, you spend time with them and they actually treat you in an entirely different way when you are out in the world with them. And here, when we're kind of under the roof of the church, we're, we're all good, we're all happy, we're all brothers, but when we go out in the world, then, then the treatment of me and treatment of others becomes very different. It's like we only follow Christ for this one hour, and like I've said, an hour is not enough. 
But we don't want to be that kind of people that, that because we are now falling out of favor with the world because of the way we love one another, we are deciding to, well, I, I don't want to lose my connection with the, these people, so I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to have to hate my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm, I'm going to have to treat them in a different way so that I can retain my connection to the world. John says, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It goes back to a phrase where Jesus was talking about whoever hates his brother has committed murder. We don't want to be that kind of people. We don't want to be haters. And yes, I know the Taylor Swift song just came into most of your heads, but I'm not going to sing it. We don't want to abide in that. We don't want to remain in that. We have been plucked out of that and grafted into the vine of life. The world is death. We don't want to remain in death. We don't want the lifeblood flowing through our veins to be death. We don't want the fruit that we produce in our lives to be the fruit of death. We want what's produced in our lives to be the deeds of righteousness. Righteous deeds are, are agapao, being totally committed to one another. In fact, you could say agapao is life, the kind of love that does more than just give an offering. It's the kind of love that makes a sacrifice. So we have to ask ourselves this question this morning. Are we being Cain or are we being Abel? Are we, are we giving as little as we can to try to be okay or are we giving everything in a sacrificial way? So how little can I give and, and get away with it? What's the little, littlest amount that's required of me that I can just kind of give? And, and when I reach that point, when I reach that limit, I'm done. I'm not going past it. I'm not going beyond it. I'm not going to give any more of my life than what is required of me. The rest of it is mine. The rest of it is for me. And if we do that, if we take that approach, then we fail to understand the true call of being a disciple, which is to lay down our entire lives, pick up the cross of the kingdom of God, and carry it every single day. By following Jesus Christ, by being his disciple, by saying, I no longer want to be a part of this world, I want to be a part of the vine and I want to pursue that, that means that we have to lay down our connection to this world. That means we have to lay down any, any life that we draw from the world because now our true life is being drawn from the vine. This is where we find our hope. This is where we find life. But if we never really stop and sacrifice everything, we never really get it. And we find ourselves then in this tension between, well, I kind of want to be, you know, I want to be with Christ, but I want to be in the world. And so I'm going to give a little bit over here, and I'm going to give a little bit over here, and I'm just going to kind of constantly be trying to weigh this balance between the good and the bad. And we're always frustrated because one side is never happy with the other side, and the other side is never happy with this side. And we give a little bit, and then we get out of balance. So we give a little bit back this way, and we get out of balance. And we kind of keep finding ourselves on this teeter totter where we never actually experience the true joy that we were meant to have in Christ, which is give it all over here and I'll make it blow up in a way you never, never imagined. How little can I give and still be okay? Abel's sacrifice asked the question, 
How much do you actually need? Like, well, if I, if I give 10 bucks to the Red Cross, I've done something. Is that, the, is that the smallest donation you take? Can I give you five bucks? Is that, do you accept $5 donations? Okay, what's the littlest I can give and be okay as opposed to This is a disaster. How much do you need? How much can I give? As, I'll, as much as I can give, I'm going to give it to you. This is the contrast. I want to brag on one of my kids this morning. They're still young enough and they're not in here, so um, I can get away with it for now. Yesterday, uh, one, of the, one of the perks of being married to a blogger is we... Uh, get tickets to events from time to time. And uh, back in October, my wife got tickets to Disney on Ice. I have an entirely different illustration for that. I didn't go this time. I went before that, but uh, you'll hear that down the road when it applies. But uh, she only got four tickets for Disney on Ice. And originally, two of the kids had said they wanted to go. Um, I think it was just the girls wanted to go. Is that right? Yeah, Hannah and Harper wanted to go to Disney on Ice, and um, then later, you know, Monster Trucks was coming, right, which is what happened yesterday, February 13th, Monster Jam, and, and uh, so we would take the boys to Monster Jam, well, then, you know, Henry decided, well, I want to go to Disney on Ice, and so uh, that meant that I couldn't go. <laughs> so I took one for the team, but that meant that that Harry was going to be left out. And so we kind of came up with this solution that, that if all three of the kids went to Disney on Ice, then Harry would get to go with just Mommy and Daddy to Monster Jam. And so he's been talking about it pretty much ever since, and maybe even a little before they actually went to Disney on Ice, he's been talking about going to see Monster Trucks. And for his birthday, we got him the Grave Digger Monster Truck which uh, we're pretty sure it's just like the Globe Trotters, Grave, uh, grave Digger always wins the competition. So, you know, if you want to get on with a winner, just go buy the Grave Digger. Um, that's another weird sentence that probably wouldn't normally hear on a Sunday morning. If you want to be with a winner, go with the Grave Digger. But, um, so we got him Grave Digger for his, for his birthday, and then he you know, talked about it and talked about it, and somewhere along the way before, before we went to it, he got it in his head that he was getting cotton candy at the event, so he was talking about going to see Monster Trucks and getting cotton candy. I'm going to go see Monster Trucks, and I'm going to get cotton. We're going to go see Grave Digger, and I get some cotton candy. And so yesterday, we go, we take him to see the Monster Trucks, and, and we get him the cotton candy. You know, we've got to be... Got to be the good dad once in a while, right? Can't always say no. So we got him cotton candy and, and opened up the bag. He, he took a bite of it. You know, I don't, I don't even know if he really had much cotton candy before, so he took a bite of it, and then I stole one bite, and then he offered a bite to mom. It's like, I have to steal mine, but mom gets hers for free. Okay. <laughs> but uh, he, 
he goes through, he, you know, he kind of eats a little bit of it, and his fingers get sticky, and he tries to wipe it off on his pants, and then he kind of gets bored with the cotton candy, then he wants it again, and so, you know, we kind of go back and forth a little bit. The, the thing ends, Gravedigger wins, everybody's happy, we go get in the car, we're fighting traffic in the parking lot, I'm getting frustrated, and God opens this path where we can get out, and we get to drive by all the monster trucks in the process, and we're driving through the traffic, I'm getting more and more frustrated, and Harry's in the back just enjoying life, because he got to see the monster trucks, and he's eating cotton candy. We get just a little bit down the freeway on I-5, and, and Harry, out of nowhere, just, just kind of offers up, um, I'm saving some of this to give to my brother and my sisters. That just kind of like makes your, your heart melt and just kind of bubble over with joy a little bit. We didn't ask him to do that. This was, this was his gift because he had given up, you know, something that he wanted to do, or maybe, I don't think he actually wanted to go to Disney on ice, but uh, he got left out, so he got this gift, you know, kind of as compensation for it, and, but at, in the end of it, he didn't want to take it all for himself. He wanted to save some and give it to his brother and his sisters. And it just, it just really struck me yesterday how, for one, how God gave me that story so that I could share it with you because that's exactly, I think, what is happening with us. In this. And he tricked us a little bit later. You know, he, he, was, he had the bag was like three-fourths of the way full and, you know, then he kind of, he held up the bag and there was just the pink stuff left at the bottom. It was only a fourth of the way full. It was like, hey, you better, you better slow down a little bit, buddy. You're going to be sick. And he had just hidden some over off to the side and then he put it back in his bag. So... Um, but we've been given this great, amazing gift from God, this gift of grace. And we've been given it not so that we can give as little as we can in return, but we've been given this great thing so that we can give everything and let the world experience the same grace that we've experienced in the same time. So we've been given this wonderful gift, and I think what happens to so many of us so much of the time is we've been given this full bag of cotton candy, and it's like, how much of this can I eat and, and, and not get sick? And, oh, what, you want some? But this is mine. As opposed to saying, how much do you need? You want, you want some of my cotton candy? And the greatest thing about the grace that we've been given is we have been given grace for anyone who wants to receive it. We have this opportunity to reflect grace to one another here in the body of Christ. We have this opportunity where we can, we can come together and love one another unconditionally. We can give unconditionally. And, and the hope and the goal is, is that when we're totally committed to one another, to love one another, to agapao one another in this unconditional way, that the world will see it. And one of two things is going to happen. They may hate you for it, but maybe they'll be drawn into it and they'll want a peace. And we'll have something to give because we're not living like Cain and saying, how little can I give and be okay? We're living like Abel and saying, how much do you actually need? So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they're coming up, I'd invite you to stand. You can go ahead and stand. While the band is singing, we'll have you come forward to get the elements for communion, the the bread and the juice, and we'll take communion together at the end of the song. But we want to stop and be reminded of the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. The example was laid out for us in Christ, and he did it all the way. 
He held nothing back. He didn't, he didn't hold on to himself what he wanted to keep and just hope that he could have just a little bit left for himself at the very end. He gave everything so that we could have everything. And that's, that's the sacrifice we remember when we stop and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We remember that he gave everything so that we could have everything. He gave his life so that we could have life. He overcame death so that we could overcome death. And he was resurrected to new life so that we could be resurrected and raised to new life in Christ. This is what we stop and we remember every single week because it is so important that we get it and we don't forget it. We have to remember this sacrifice was made for us so that we could have life, but it's not so that we can just selfishly cling to it and hold on to it for ourselves, but we want to give it away. We want to give it away. So we need to stop and allow God, allow the Spirit to check our hearts, to check our minds, to evaluate us and say, you know what, you're not living up to that. Here's what you need to do. And if we allow him, I think the Spirit will will reveal to every single one of us in this room an area where we are not living up to that. But the great thing about being in the kingdom and being attached to the vine is that the power, the lifeblood to do those things comes from being attached to the vine. We don't have to do it on our own strength. We're given the strength in Christ to do it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single one of us gathered in this room here this morning. I thank you for the potential that lies here. I thank you for the love that is already here. I thank you for the love that that is abundant here at this church. Thank you for the so many who have already given sacrificially, who have laid down their lives so that others might experience life. I thank you for those who do that on a a weekly and even a daily basis. They're a blessing to me, they're a blessing to this body, they're a blessing to this community, and I thank you for that. But for all of us, I pray right now in this moment you would you would reveal to us as we walk humbly with you for this time, as we humble ourselves and become obedient to the same kind of obedience you had, which leads us to, to the death of self. I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves and allow you to speak into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds, exactly what we need to hear so that we can walk out of this place and be determined to be the kind of people who live a sacrificial life, not giving as little as we can, but asking how much do you need? Father, any area where we're still clinging, where we're holding on, where we're holding back to save something for ourselves, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to let go of that for your kingdom this morning. Find so much more of your life with our hands open than we do with our hands closed. Father, empower us now through your spirit to go out and live lives that draw people in to the light of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.